coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Thursday to you and welcome to The Ron Show. Whether you're listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or if you're listening on whatever your preferred podcast platform is, I want to thank you for doing that. Had a nice, one of those like cooling early morning rains. I cracked the patio door and opened the bedroom window, a little cross ventilation, just a ugh, mm, chef's kiss. It feels kind of like a mountainy, gray kind of day here in Atlanta. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, it's like scalding hot, as I'm sure it would be, because it's August in Atlanta. That being said, this is still, as we look at data from 1940 to now, the hottest summer on record. Uh, I will share uh, just a, a graph that just shows you just how crazy hot July was compared to every other July dating back to 1940 and I think in general ever. You look at what 1940s July temperatures, surface air temperatures look like compared to now. It's, it's absolutely the same. Uh, the first thing I want to get to, though, uh, this is pretty serious stuff. The FBI says a Utah man was fatally shot as agents tried to arrest him in connection with threats against President Biden and other Democrats. The criminal complaint listing his alleged violent social media posts and online suggestions that he planned to take action. The FBI moving to arrest him just hours before the president arrives in Utah. Here's ABC's Mola Lange. Tonight, just hours before President Biden's arrival in Utah, the FBI says a Provo man was fatally shot as agents tried to arrest him for threatening to assassinate the president. Authorities say 75-year-old Craig Robertson made credible threats, posting to social media just three days ago. I hear Biden is coming to Utah, digging out my old ghillie suit, and cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle. Welcome, buffoon-in-chief. A federal complaint revealing dozens of Robertson's posts, including pictures of an arsenal of weapons, images of Robertson dressed in camouflage clothing, armed with a long-range rifle, and multiple references to killing the president. The FBI says its investigation also uncovered threats against law enforcement and other public officials, including Vice President Kamala Harris, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and California Governor Gavin Newsom. After a months-long investigation, the FBI moving in early this morning. The tipping point to me was President Biden was coming. He was going to be in close proximity. And this individual had w looked like he was on a planning path to carry out the attack. An official tells ABC News the FBI's investigation into Robertson began back in April. The Secret Service was notified in June and that Robertson was making plans to take physical action. The president was briefed about the deadly incident earlier today, Whit. Oddly enough, there's so much outrage on the right about the overreach. Look at this. Law enforcement overreach because this old MAGA guy in Utah, Craig Robertson, was on social media boasting about plans he had to, air quote, greet President Biden while brandishing a cadre of weapons via photograph on social media. These are the same right-wing pundits who breathlessly defended George Zimmerman, breathlessly defended police officers in Ferguson, Baltimore, <laughs> the list goes on. But in this case, we have law enforcement overreach because an old, overweight, magnified Utah 
resident claimed he was going to do something, showed what he had to do something with, and was amping up his social media boast planning as the President of the United States was due to arrive in Utah. Right-wing YouTube blowhard Benny Johnson tweets, Isn't it odd when the FBI murders, underlying that, an elderly 300-pound handicapped Trump voter in cold blood, we immediately get menacing pictures of him and his life story in every social media post he ever made. But when a transgender murders Christian children in cold blood, we get nothing. Actually, from the left, no, you, you do get something. You get calls for what would keep a transgender person or any person who lacks mental stability to not have access to the sort of weapons that person used to shoot up a religious school or a public school, an elementary school, a high school. What you don't get are calls from the left for revering the person who was taken out by law enforcement in such a situation. No one's celebrating or apologizing for or trying to reportray the perp in question as something that they aren't. Political strategist and host of the Joey Monarino Show podcast, Joey Monarino, tweeting, rest in peace, Craig Robertson. We will never know the truth of what happened. Conservatives are not safe in this nation with a weaponized government. This entire story is chilling. Now, you know, if the Joey Monarino types had seen a black anti-police Twitter account tweet out something along the lines of, rest in peace, Michael Brown. We will never know the truth of what happened. Black people are not safe in this nation with a weaponized government. This entire story is chilling. Can you just imagine what the Joey Monarinos, the Benny Johnsons would have had to say? Let me just read for you some of Craig Robertson's social media posts. I hear Biden is coming to Utah, digging out my old ghillie suit and cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle. Welcome buffoon in chief. Another. In my dream, I see Joe Biden's body in a dark corner of a D.C. parking garage with his head severed and lying in a huge puddle of blood. Hurrah. Another. Perhaps Utah will become famous this week as the place a sniper took out Biden the Marxist. Another. He's inviting the FBI. Hey, FBI, you still monitoring my social media? Well, of course. Look what you're posting. Anyway, it continues checking so I can be sure to have a loaded gun handy in case you drop by again. There are people that are mourning police law enforcement overreach as he greets a SWAT team with a gun in hand after he posts stuff like that. So early we played uh, the story from ABC News, CBS News reporting that Robertson engaged FBI agents in a gunfight when they attempted just to serve a warrant. A neighbor hearing him say, I'm not coming out. You f- So yeah, Robertson was shot dead. Another social media post from a couple days ago. When this, oh, all, all caps too, by the way. That lets you know that they're not deranged. Um, 
When this government crumbles under its own evil and corruption, food, water, arms, and ammunition will be necessary to survive. Nine words you don't want to hear. We're from the government, and we're here to help. Back in September, this time, I'm sorry, the time is right for a presidential assassination or two. First Joe, then Kamala. Three exclamation points, of course, just to let you know how serious, I mean, deranged, no, no serious they are. Any right-wing pundit that wants to pin blame on the FBI for overreacting, they're delusional and shouldn't be taken seriously. And I know, I'm just talking about a couple, three folks who have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, by the way, of followers on social media. But people like Craig Robertson, and I'll include Ashley Babbitt, Miss January 6th Consolation winner. They died not because of law enforcement overreach. No, they died because of the very things their president, the former president of the United States, and now, and still, the man far and away ahead in seeking the GOP nomination, said to them and to hundreds of thousands of followers throughout the country at various rallies and the millions who voted for him. Lies. Lies that they hold to be the truth that an election was stolen. That the system is rigged against them. (laughs) I mean, do you not note the irony? These are the very same people that dismiss uh, decades, centuries even, of Systemic, often codified biases and impediments to keep people from succeeding simply based on skin color, melanin, place of origin. But, but it's them, the, the, the folks who vote to maintain the status quo, that systemic, often codified biases and impediments against others that feel are the ones actually being victimized. It would be funny, except they're actually so far and away removed from reality that they're willing to put their own lives at risk, and the lives of others, by the way, to carry out a sniper attack on a sitting president? Can you imagine what would have happened? I mean, this guy was obviously too stupid to realize uh, maybe it, maybe you don't post this on social media, Bubba. Big Craig, 300-pound mouthpiece with his <laughs> with his amosexual tendencies. I mean, really? Just bragging about his, <laughs> his zombie doomsday prep cash and his weapons galore and literally spelling out what he wants to do when Air Force One is wheels down in the home state of Utah. These people aren't right, man. They're just just not right. They're not right in the head. And it has a lot to do with the fact that the person they believe is the savior of this nation, he ain't right in the head either. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the erstwhile presidential aspirations of one Chris Christie. Uh, Great thread 
If you follow the editorial board on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to go piece by piece through that. And some of uh, Chris Christie's CBS This Morning interview, I think this was from last Sunday. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, Good stuff. And I've talked about Chris Christie's campaign before. This encapsulates why a guy like Chris Christie is trying to run to save the soul of the GOP, such as it is. I disagree on a lot of stuff, but I look at his campaign as like, this might be the most necessary Republican campaign I can think of in my lifetime. No, really. And, and I'm no Republican, no conservative, not even a moderate. I have no plans to vote for the guy. Although, if we don't have a Democratic primary worth showing up for, Democrats, maybe this is something we consider doing. Crossing the lines and voting for the most palpable of candidates on that side. We'll discuss in minutes. The Ron Show on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. It was really only a matter of time, and I figure maybe a non-compete had to be waited out, and maybe still will be. The folks at one of the two NPR stations here in Atlanta, not the GPB one, that's for sure, WABE, which is owned by the Atlanta School Board, or the Atlanta Board of Education, that's where their call letters come from, announcing that Bill Nygut, formerly the host of Political Rewind on Georgia public broadcasting radio stations throughout the state, will now return to the airwaves and co-host a daily radio show uh, in partnership with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and WABE. He will be a co-host to Politically Georgia alongside... Greg Bluestein from the AJC, Patricia Murphy as well from the AJC, and uh, AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell. Uh, the press release states that the show uh, will expand to five days a week. Uh, let's see. When do they say they're going to do this? Uh, the show will air live weekdays at 10 a.m. starting sometime this fall. And the press release says the mix of hosts will rotate daily and will include guests from across the political spectrum. It will also be available as a podcast from the AJC on all platforms each day. Good for him. And good for those that enjoyed Political Rewind. They will get some semblance of a return of that format to their NPR offerings in the very near future. I would submit that this show is not a suitable replacement. I have pointed that out to folks who uh, have asked uh, if he would be willing to come to this radio station. We'd have loved to have had them. Uh, however, I'm not getting paid and we're not making money on this. This is just a, a passion project for me and uh, also for the owner of uh, America One Radio. But he would have been welcome here. And like like I am able to, if I so choose, he would have been able to monetize his show as well. Anyway, congrats to Bill Nygut and congrats to those who miss Political Rewind. There will be something of a replacement coming this fall locally on 90.1 WABE. I feel like I don't even need to mention this, but days ago we heard from former President Donald Trump making accusations about Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Here they were. They say there's a young woman, uh, a young racist in Atlanta. Say racist. And they say, I guess they say that she was after a certain gang and she ended up having an affair with the head of the gang or a gang member. And this is a person that wants to indict me. She's got a lot of problems, but she wants to indict me to try and run for some other office. 
wants to indict me for a perfect phone call. This was even better than my perfect call with Ukraine. Never mind the insanity of antagonizing someone who is about to level you with indictments. Uh, All right. Anyway, Fonnie Willis, who I don't really think had to answer to this because it's so insane, did answer to it, uh, according to Tamal Hollerman in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis Wednesday flatly denied that she had a relationship with a former client and other rumors spread by former President Donald Trump in a new campaign ad. In an email to her colleagues obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Willis called the information in a televised spot bankrolled by the Trump campaign, quote, derogatory and false. She urged her staff not to respond to any of the allegations. But she's responding to the allegations. Don't, don't. You're just giving even the slightest bit of credibility to, ah, whatever. She said, you may not comment in any way on the ad or any of the negativity that may be expressed against me, your colleagues, this office in the coming days, weeks, or months, Fonnie wrote in the email sent early Wednesday. We have no personal feelings against those we investigate or prosecute, and we should not express any. You know the old saying, this could have been an email. This is the exact opposite. That should have been a closed-door meeting. A mandatory closed-door meeting with someone holding a bag for everyone to put their mobile devices in so that nothing comes in, nothing goes out. I mean, listen, I, I, it's no big deal that she responded. I'm just saying that it's, it's just so stupid on the face that it shouldn't even be responded to. I mean, look who she's responding to. Really. This is like me saying I'm going to respond to someone who, okay, so I, I, I erroneously dated someone once who I didn't know was a meth, fentanyl, heroin addict, and delusional beyond reproach when someone within his family came to me and said, hey, uh, I hear that you're part of a sex trafficking ring. Really? <laughs> Consider the source. Yeah, don't respond. Don't respond. I just said, well, I'll let you consider the source. And I'm quite Googleable, so go for it. Yeah, don't respond, Fonny. Just do your thing, lady. I also wanted to follow up a little bit of a personal issue I had here a a few, well, over the last few weeks, actually. Uh, I had my checkup on July 18th. On the 21st, I get a call and something to their patient portal that said that there were some irregularities with some test results and... uh, uh, go call this specialist and make an appointment. And I call the specialist. The specialist says, well, your doctor's office hasn't sent us anything and we need them to send us something like a referral via fax in 2023. Anyway, I was like, okay, no big deal. I was out camping that weekend or that long weekend. And so I was like, ah, I'll just deal with this when I get back. And surely they'll reach out to me once they've gotten that information, right? Because it's coming soon. By the 26th, Eight days after that uh, checkup and five days after getting that call and information in my patient portal that, oh, some irregularities, some worsened grades, and, oh, you need to do... They still hadn't got... The specialist still hadn't gotten anything from my doctor's office, right? So I call my doctor's office. The lady at the reception desk sends me to a voicemail. I left a pretty extensive voicemail explaining what was needed, thinking, okay, this will get done. And then... Two more weeks passed, and I still hadn't heard anything. So I called the specialist again. We still don't have anything from your private. Are you kidding me? (laughs) So I 
call my primary. I have a conversation with the lady who answered the phone. I tell her, don't leave, don't put me on voicemail because that didn't work last time. Find me a human being. A few minutes go by. Somebody else picks up. Can I help you? Doesn't know the first thing I'm talking about. Uh, nothing about my situation. I wasn't going to explain it to a second person. So I instead say, put me back on with the first person. I got put on hold and then I got sent to voicemail. I decided to go down to the office because it's three minutes from where I live. And the chief nurse practitioner there said, well, it's a good thing you didn't leave a voicemail because my voicemail hasn't been set up yet. How about this morning? I have an appointment, by the way. Uh, this show is pre-recorded just in full disclosure. I have an appointment at three o'clock. <laughs> they called me this morning and said, we don't have your medical records and your primary doesn't answer the phone. We left a voicemail. Oh, you don't say. Just one more thing I had to deal with. And have I mentioned I'm going to be looking for a new primary physician's office in the very near future? Just thought I'd update you on that. Uh, I'll let you know. I don't think I'm going to learn anything today, but I'll let you know how it all turns out in the coming days. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. More on show after this. Thank you for listening on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more, all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So, welcome back. Second half of the show. Last segment, I'll talk a little bit about Atlanta's population growth and the real estate situation. I am a realtor, by the way. If you uh, ever have questions or don't know what to do with your real estate scenario, completely understand. Don't hesitate to give me a call, 843-283-0078, or email me, ron, at rononthereal.com. This segment, though, I want to talk about a, a fantastic uh, Twitter thread that uh, John Stewart uh, put together. He of the editorial board. You can just follow at John, A-S-T-O-E-H-R. John, J-O-H-N-A-S-T-O-E-H-R. Uh, the editorial board. Fantastic thread that talks about the actual reason that there is a Chris Christie presidency, well, a presidential campaign anyway, even happening when he's not polling very well. And I have to agree with a lot of what uh, John tweeted um, uh, early this morning. I'll just go through the thread and uh, splice in some audio from uh, Chris's CBS This Morning interview that I believe was last Sunday. Was it last Sunday? Uh, in any event, the Twitter thread begins as such. If you think the point of Chris Christie's presidential bid is winning the presidency, I think you may be misunderstanding it. Yes, I know what he says. He says that he is a viable alternative to Donald Trump, but he also touched on something more serious during an interview with CBS News Sunday morning. Robert Costa asked what he's going to say at the first GOP debate later this month. The former New Jersey governor said, Depends on what he says. I can guarantee you I'm going to tell him the truth for 90 minutes because the truth matters. And I think Republican voters need to hear the truth. Okay, never mind that the political reality is no presidential campaign running for the GOP nomination can tell Republican voters the truth, especially when it comes to issues of economics because the economy is doing really well right now. So what's your argument? Inflation stemmed right now. So what's your argument? We've been involved in no wars. We're not under attack. What's your argument? Oh, yeah, the southern border. Uh, yeah, but you guys aren't coming to the bargaining table to help us deal with that. So what's your See, I could I consider and talk to you about how like Republican voters really don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth, and they don't have any candidates or 
politicians in their party who tell them the truth. I, I digress. It's okay. He said he's going to tell the truth about Donald Trump, and that's really what he meant. It's about Donald Trump. Um, he did say later in this interview, he's a self-centered, self-possessed, self-consumed, angry old man. He doesn't care about anybody else other than him. If he were ever to become president again, I'll take him at his word. He said, I am your retribution. He's not our retribution, Christie says. He will be his own retribution. So further on down the thread, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not buying his line about being the only principled truth teller in a field of self-interested sycophants. Thank you. Christie is plenty self-centered. He is plenty sycophantic when it serves his purposes. He was against Trump before he was for him. In 2016, after it was clear that he'd be the GOP nominee against Hillary Clinton. So true. This is one of the things that I had issues with Republicans across the board when it came to, you know, their assertion that they're principled, moral people, except when Donald Trump became the nominee. Ted Cruz had his wife made fun of by the man, and Ted Cruz had no... How is Ted Cruz still married? How did his wife stay with him? If I were married to someone who wouldn't stand up for me against someone speaking such ill against me, I would be drawing papers up. Ugh. Uh, The thread continues. Uh, Now he's asking us to believe in his newfound noble streak. See, this is a problem with Chris Christie. We don't have to believe that. I do think, however, that we should take seriously, perhaps, even trust in his political animal instincts. He seems to believe that the best way of beating Trump is going through Trump, not beating Trump, in air quotes. Probably doesn't mean winning. It probably means wounding the front runner just enough for another Republican candidate to take the lead. Allow me to expand on that a little bit. If, if that is the case, if he's willing to fall on the grenade so somebody else can walk over his mangled, charred body from the grenade explosion to then go forth with the rest of the party's ideology. Uh, okay, it's noble, but I don't think that's the case. I, I think Chris Christie wants to win. I, I really do. And, and I'll talk more about his viability in a little bit. Uh, the thread continues. It's to his credit that Christie has a pretty good read on the political sensibilities of respectable white people who are the great globular middle of American politics that privileges above all the preservation of peace, order, and this is what I think is most importantly to that uh, respectable white people voter, the status quo. Thread continues. Trump's presidential crimes are too much for many of them. Christie seems to be pandering to that view. Back to that CBS News Sunday morning interview with Robert Costa. shows up for the debate. Oh, I do. Yeah. He keeps suggesting he won't. Yeah, he loves the tease, Bob. Finish the sentence for me. If Trump doesn't show up, he is a... Coward. Complete and total coward, a yellow streak so far down his back. But he might think he's elevating the rest of the field by showing up. He's elevating? Uh, I've never seen Donald Trump uh, elevate anything uh, except for the ego factor. They won't tell you the truth about Donald Trump. But Christie's pitch that he's a truth teller who can save the party from Trump, who this past week pleaded not guilty to federal criminal charges for his alleged role in trying to overturn the 2020 election, is complicated. Mm-hmm. I gave my plan. You know what his answer was? After clashing with him in 2016. Under the Trump administration, everyone is going to get so rich, so wealthy, we're not going to have to worry about Social Security. Christie had an about face. Uh, proud to endorse Donald yeah. Trump. Even vying for a top position in the administration. 
But after the 2020 election, frankly, we did win this election. Christie broke with Trump. What did you say in your last conversation with Trump? Told him he should concede the election to Joe Biden and go to his inauguration. What did he say? I will never, ever, ever do that. What else you got? I said, I have nothing else, Mr. President, because there is nothing else. Christie knows what critics say. Hypocrite, opportunist, flip-flopper. You say you broke with Trump in 2020 when he wouldn't concede the election, but you must have had character questions going back a long time about him. When Access Hollywood happens in 2016, why wasn't that a breaking point for you? Because elections are choices, Bob. There was still a choice between him and Hillary Clinton. Some voters might be already asking you, you were with Trump. They might even say you were sucking up to Trump. What do you say to them? Just what I just said to you. In fact, it did happen in one of my early town halls up there. And I said to the guy, look, I made a mistake. Uh, It was a mistake. But I'm telling you why I did what I did at the time. What about voters who have a little skepticism about how you've been anti-Trump, with Trump, anti-Trump? I'm a good Republican. And it was clear to me Donald Trump was going to be the nominee. And I, at that time, I had a relationship with him for 15 years. And I wanted to make him the best candidate. And if he won, the best president he could be. And I make no apologies for that. And I did the very best I could for four years. And he failed me and he failed the country. And on election night of 2020, when he stood in the White House and said the election had been stolen, when he had no evidence to prove that, that moment was the breaking point for me. That's actually part of the Twitter thread I was reading to you from. Uh, That continues from there. Elsewhere in the interview, responding to the accusation that he's a flip-flopper, he again gave voice to the anxieties of respectable white people, saying... Trump abandoned me. I'm no different today than I was when I supported him in 2016. He's the one who kept classified documents against the law, the lied to his lawyers and lied to the government. I had nothing to do with any of that. John Stewart, the editorial board, continues in his Twitter thread. So when he says that he thinks Republican voters need to hear the truth, let's first imagine what he does not mean. He does not mean Republican voters who are already in the tank for Trump. I, I think we can all concede that those folks are pretty much lost. And unfortunately for Chris Christie and the Republican Party right now, that's 54% of likely GOP primary voters. John continues, he means instead Republican voters who may be shouldering enormous doubts about him, but currently do not have an alternate way of thinking about him. He means Republican voters who do not have reasons to say no. And I think he means to provide them with those reasons. Back to the CBS Sunday News morning interview. None of his secretaries of state would work for him again. None of his attorneys general would work for him. But do voters care about any of this? Well, they should. Republicans. They should, but the case has to be made, Bob. No one's making the case. Let me dive back to the Twitter thread that John Stewart, the editorial board, was kind of weaving this interview in with. In this, he may be paving the way for others to follow. Former Vice President Mike Pence who's at the center of the third indictment against Trump, is now inching back to where he was at the launch of his campaign when he centered the J6 insurrection. On Fox, he said, The American people deserve to know that President Trump and his advisors didn't just ask me to pause. They asked me to reject votes, return votes, essentially to overturn the election. Thread continues, Even Ron DeSantis, who wants to be seen as Donald Trump without Donald Trump's baggage, is tiptoeing around the truth, saying, quote, Whoever puts their hand on the Bible on January 20th every four years is the winner. He said, adding, quote, of course he lost. Joe Biden's the president. Thread continues, John writing, as I said, the point of Christie's campaign probably isn't winning the presidency. I disagree with him on this, but anyway, 
It probably isn't winning the GOP nomination. It's making the case to a critical faction of the Republican electorate that has doubts about Trump, but no alternate way of thinking about him. Will it succeed? John asks. We can't know until someone tries. As Christie said, DeSantis hasn't. Pence hasn't. But they might follow if Christie gives enough Republican voters enough reason to say they've had enough. I will share for you this Twitter thread, and you will see my response, which I'm going to go ahead and give you now. Anyway, as a liberal, I uh, happen to kind of like Christie, though I have plenty of issues with his wishy-washy behavior towards Trump. I happen to believe he's sincere about him now and sat on a lot of these feelings as far back as 2016, for which I have issues. He's not brave for saying what he's saying now. He's, in modern GOP terms, bold to, though. He may just be the chisel striking a crack in the ice wall for someone else to march through, as you've asserted, but I also think he might be the one GOP candidate who could win the whole thing, too. And it wouldn't be a death knell for liberals to lose their minds over. He seems to be, maybe I'm wrong, y'all, a reasonable, though wrong on so many key, mostly economic issues, a reasonable human being who would likely be the GOP version of Joe Biden, willing to work in some form of bipartisanship. Remember, he was the governor of New Jersey, a pretty liberal state. He just can't run on that mantra with the primary season, though. But make no mistake, if he were to somehow navigate that treacherous snake-line path and win the GOP nomination, he'd be wise to pivot and rake back onto the pile the never-Trumper Lincoln Project types. In my mind, he's the one to be able to beat Biden candidate they have running. He has all the DeSantis pros without the DeSantis cons. And by that, I mean a record of executive leadership, but not nearly the arrogant blowhard he once used to be that DeSantis currently is. And this is where I think we as Democrats have to consider, do we help him? No, I'm seriously, do we? Not with your pocketbook. Don't donate money to Chris Christie. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe he needs it. Um, but don't, 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 don't make, no, no, no. Save your money for down ballot candidates that need the help uh, at the local and state level, okay? But if we're not going to have much of a Democratic presidential primary, do we consider crossing the aisle and voting in the GOP primary to net us the candidate that if that side happens to win, we could most possibly deal with? I don't know which way to go with that, honestly, because... I, I, I've said this before. I happen to think Chris Christie might be the one candidate on that dais who is acceptable enough to enough of the American people that if on the ballot could defeat Joe Biden. Despite all of that, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Joe Biden's a weak. The only thing Joe Biden's got going against him is, frankly, his age. And there's just not much, you know, he can't do anything about that, Right. He's not going to change VP candidates just because she's not popular either. It is what it is. They are what they are. They're the nominee ticket that the Democratic Party has. I'm not saying that. I just happen to think that because of the hyper-partisanship and because of the uh, insistence to not believe what is fact, that the economy is doing well, better than it is globally, and avoiding the recession, hell, avoiding the soft landing even, Inflation's been stabilized. 
We're not at war. I mean, all of the things that should be working for President Biden, there again, there's just that that hyperpartisan 40% that's never going to believe fact. They're never going to believe water's wet, that blue is blue. But they may vote for the GOP nominee. And so that's why I'm like indecisive. Do we support the one most reasonable, I think, GOP candidate to take out the Trump era? Or do we let Trump become the nominee and do so knowing that like his ceiling is probably that 43% that he's getting right now? I mean, he's in a virtual tie with Joe Biden, who's also getting that 43%. But I think, I think 43% is Trump's ceiling. I don't think, I think Biden can do better once people start settling in and realizing that, oh my God, we can't have another four years of Donald Trump. That was a disaster on so many levels. But it's something to think about. Do we cross the aisle and vote for Chris Christie for the best of the country one way or the other? Something to think about. Hit me up at Ron Show Radio on Twitter, or if you want to call in and chime in, 404-919-2725. What do you think? Back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back. Final segment of the Ron Show for Thursday. Atlanta Journal-Constitution article yesterday. Zachary Hansen, Will Nobles uh, contributing to this one. Metro Atlanta added 66,730 new residents between April of 2022 and this past April boosting the region's population to a record 5.16 million, according to estimates that were released Wednesday by the Atlanta Regional Commission. Uh, The ARC noting that the fastest growth rates occurred in Atlanta with 2.8% growth, Cherokee County with 2.5% growth, with Forsyth and Henry Counties both uh, clocking in at 2.1% growth. ARC officials said the population increase in the 11-county region is fueled by ongoing strong employment growth. Jobs in the region have increased 5.4% 5.4% since the pandemic began in 2020. ARC also saying that Metro Atlanta has the fifth highest employment base in the nation, trailing only Austin and Dallas and Texas, Las Vegas, and Orlando, Florida. Uh, further down the article, the city of Atlanta added 14,300 residents in the past year, nearly three times the previous 12-month period. city's previous record increase occurred in uh, the 2018-19 cycle with 10,900 residents in that cycle. I know a lot of folks like to jokingly say we full and I, oh, no and yes, uh, our roads, our infrastructure absolutely is beyond maximum capacity. We don't have, we do not have the infrastructure for what we have now. And knowing that we're adding another 50, 60,000 per year is a touch frightening in and of itself because we're not seeing the kind of infrastructure expansion that's needed in the metro area to accommodate that. I mean, the 400 exchange at 285 on the north end, that's nice, but all it does is it it just kind of gives us a little more room to navigate from one clogged artery onto another. We're not adding lanes. And honestly, how, how many more lanes can you add to highways? We're already having to see those horrific looking sound barriers to try and minimize the impact of these widening roads on our quality of life and our ability to work in buildings adjacent to those arteries as well because of the noise and the pollution, et cetera, and so on. So, uh, yeah, we, we full. Our infrastructure is full. However, there are plenty, plenty of areas 
in and around Metro Atlanta where there's room for people to live. We're going to see in the next, I'd say, two decades, this transformation. There's a little tug, a little tug of war going on, a little back and forth about uh, full-time office working again. Even Zoom is sending some of its employees back to uh, some sort of in-office employment uh, of all companies, right? But it's not as necessary as it used to be to do the five-day-a-week commute. And so a lot of office space, a lot of commercial office space that was built prior to COVID is sitting vacant. And so some of that space may well, especially in large cities and downtown areas, may be transformed into residential. I read a great thread a few weeks ago that talked about how the flooring is actually different in an office building than it would be for a residential building because of the plumbing needs that exist uh, for, you know, full baths and the, the lot. So some of the buildings may not be able to, to meet those codes. It may be less expensive just to tear a building down and to, to build again. Nonetheless, we're going to see that sort of transformation happen. But there's also been a lot of doomsday talk about the real estate industry. And I, as a realtor, run into people all the time who give me the same, oh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for prices to cool. I'm going to wait for prices to drop. And I have to just keep reminding them, you're in Atlanta. That isn't going to happen anytime soon. We're still expecting another million plus between now and 2040 to move into Metro Atlanta, right? Am, am I, is that the math? Yeah, I, I want to say it's, 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 not, it's not good. You're not, if you're waiting for prices to drop, demand is going to stay high because of that many people moving into Metro Atlanta. And, and there are options, like if you're not ready to buy a house or a condo or a townhome, okay, fine. Just admit that. Don't, don't give me the, I'm going to wait for prices to cool down because that's not going to happen. Got to get on the train now. If you can jump onto the train, jump onto the train. Scratch, claw your way onto the train because almost immediately when you buy something, it's starting to build equity for you. In Metro Atlanta, you saw that between 2010 and 2020, Houses that, just to give you a, a random number, houses that you bought for $200,000 in 2010 were worth $300,000 in 2020, just in general. That just shows you, you, you made that much equity. You made money while sitting in the house or condo or townhome that you own. And you got to do that now too. It's not, I know interest rates are crazy, but renting is already absorbing those interest rates with the profit margin on top of it. Rents are skyrocketing. They keep growing because, again, demand is high. You got to get into the home ownership train if you are thinking, uh, I'm going to wait till prices drop. That ain't happening. We're not going to have another one of those housing bubbles like we had in 2007, 2008. Metro Atlanta is going to continue to grow. Will there be waffling? Uh, maybe, but you can't wait for that either. That doesn't mean that prices are going to drop. They've cooled. The growth has cooled but it's still growing. So if you're on the sidelines thinking, I'm going to wait for prices to drop, you're only fooling yourself. You're not fooling anybody else. And interest rates are probably, I mean, listen, this is me guessing, but they're probably going to dip a little bit. If not in the fourth quarter of this year, I think the first quarter of 2024, that's just kind of what I'm reading in the tea leaves and hearing from market analysts. So you may get a little bit of a reprieve, but I'm telling you, if you don't take advantage then, thinking, oh, I'm going to wait for prices to drop. Prices are not going to drop. And they can only build so many houses so fast. Yeah, there are more people coming to Metro Atlanta. If you're already here and you want to stay here a while, you can keep renting and making your landlord rich, 
where you can buy something and start enriching yourself. Got questions? Feel free to hit me up. You know how to reach me. Ron at RonOnTheReal.com. Also, the show email is Ron at RonShowATL.com. That's fine. Hit me up there. 404-919-2725 if you'd like to, or at RonShowRadio if you'd like to tweet me or hit me up on Facebook. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Have a good one.